we're live. <laughs> Mama, get some water. Hey. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. It is a Sunday morning. It is the Lord's morning. Praise him. Mm, and we are here with another episode of QBT. I'm Shawnee. And I am Maddie Germs. And we're two queer babes talking about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want on this beautiful Sunday morning. It is hot. It's supposed to be 100 degrees today. I can't wait. I'm going to go sit my ass in a river. Mm-hmm. Me too. Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> all right, girl, we're here, we're queer, and it's time to say, what's up, slut? How you doing? How's life? How are things going? Things are going okay. Uh, I am a little bit tired just from the weekend and stuff that's going on in the city, but I've had my coffee, I'm drinking my water, I'm feeling good. What about you? Ooh, I haven't had any of those things yet. I haven't had water. <laughs> I have not had coffee in six months now. I don't think I'm going to pick it back up. I, wow. We'll I know, speaking, of, speaking of drugs, which we're going to be talking right. about a little Come bit on, later caffeine. on. I gave up caffeine six months ago. Mm. Um, I'm feeling good, though. I'm feeling all right. You know, it's a little earlier than usual, but I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was our homework last week? Our homework last week was to talk about sex with somebody. and. Oh. To, just talk about it so that we get a little bit more comfortable with it. Um, yeah. How did you do? Did you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think with my close friendships, and we talked about this a little bit about last week around just like opening up communication in general. I think that uh, for me, I try and incorporate conversations around sex that aren't like that stereotypical, like Samantha from Sex and the City, like, did you see his cock? But like, more <laughs> like, um, I'm more like just like talking about sex with people because I think it's like a it's a good thing. And anyway, after our conversation, I kind of emulated that in a group. We were just kind of talking about our first sex experiences and they were friends, a friend group that like we hadn't had that specific type of conversation or even talk about, but we ended up moving to like conversations about sex with our partners and and some other funny sex stories came up and it wasn't it wasn't that it was like explicit or even dirty it was just friends talking about their interactions and feelings and comings to sex and it was and fun. Cum? you guys were talking about cum sure all of it squirt 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 <laughs> um what about you um, I did. I did like twice. Once was um, I had some friends over in the backyard and we randomly started talking about like watching porn while having sex and who does it and mm. what do you get out of it. Um, I, for one, am a fan of porn being played while having sex. That's, That's fun. Um, and then I had another conversation with a person I don't know that well, uh, but uh, it was a it was a Instagram DM conversation, uh -huh. but it was about sex. And, you know, it was... It was refreshing to hear a conversation with somebody that I did not know that well, um, but yeah. to still have a conversation via sex. And it wasn't like a, or maybe it was like a flirty thing. I don't yeah, know. You might need to revisit that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening person that we were DMing, DMing together, uh, no shade. It's just, it was a fun conversation. <laughs> you're like, will you write me back and tell me if you're horny will you write yes me or back? no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can figure it out and we can fix it anyway. <laughs> oh my God. Well, speaking of not knowing what the fuck is going on in your DMs, as we move into what about it, let's talk about what the fuck is going on in Portland. Mama. Yo, okay. So 
I feel like you brought this up last week yeah. and I didn't know what was going on for real. And then I started getting all these text messages, just like checking in. Like I heard yeah. Portland's just crazy. And I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've just been in my house. Like I yeah. haven't, I haven't been out. I haven't seen anything. All I hear is fireworks at night. And then I like dug in and sort of saw um, these federal agents kidnapping people and disappearing right. people um, that are protesting and was like, what the fuck? Right. United States. I was going to say Portland, but it's not Portland. So yeah. at least I don't think it is. Well, and then the way that we recorded, it was like they had been here for like two days, I think. And so yeah. I was just kind of like quickly naming something's going on. I don't know. And then we our episode dropped in the middle of this week where it's heightened much more. Um, but I think in general, um, I want to name a few things. So just kind of highlights, we have the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, federal agents that have come in and are supposedly not working with Portland police, and they absolutely are. <laughs> um, and like there's video evidence of them collaborating either strategically or handing over arrests that they've made to Portland police. Um, and uh, we've had our, our mayor go out for a photo op to get tear aghast. We've had um, white moms come in and be the mom block. We have had dads with leaf blowers come in and blow the tear gas back at the cops, which I've seen it and it is a very effective. It's actually a really, after having been out there so much and like just watching the gas like flow over people and like, yes, sometimes there's umbrella block or shields that kind of disperse it a little bit. Watching the gas physically just like zoom back over the fence to the feds, like um, it's it's interesting. It's, it's cool to see. Um, I think that my biggest concern right now in the ways that the world or people outside of Portland or potentially even within it, are absorbing it is protests have been happening. I think right now we're at day 60, 60 days of protests in Portland. Wow. Um, that has varied from like... And it's consistent. I mean, consistent. I have heard loud pops and fireworks or whatever else every night for going on two months. And right. I've seen helicopters in the skies every day for two months and that right. little shack across the house or across the street from my house it still oh, has paint. graffiti on it yeah which is yeah. great they keep trying to repaint it back and it keeps it still has graffiti on it and it's yeah. been two months of that and i'm like when are you guys yeah. gonna just let us have it yeah i think um uh the idea i think was that portland would be this testing ground for what essentially like mini martial law looks like and as a wrong city girl wrong city wrong well state. especially because <laughs> you know in some ways not to agree with ted wheeler but in some ways the the numbers were dwindling or at least were like uh not as expansive there would be certain nights where like more people would come out but most of the time the consistent protesters were just people who were able to consistently protest um and honestly, like most things, when there's a specificity and focus on black lives, white people eventually get tired of that. Um, so those numbers- you don't say. <laughs> right. So the numbers were going down to a few hundred and then the feds come in, it is back to the thousands. I am like, even since the beginning of this thing, and I know you and I talked a few episodes back about like the magic that it kind of felt and the exhilarating and like the energy to be, involved in a collective conscious and, and be marching with thousands of people and like to have that be x amount of months ago and then be back and see those numbers even bigger and more prepared it's like it just is it's just hard because it's like you don't want to give the the photo op that people are like preparing for war or something but there is 
consistent ammunition coming out and blinding people and like in some cases killing people and then they were just kidnapping folks off just off the street Mm -hmm. and are acting very lawlessly you know and like other people outside of portland are kind of absorbing our mayor getting gassed and like are like what is going on what is democracy and i think it's a good reminder and it is important to remind folks that we were getting gassed in portland under the leadership who is the city the police commissioner our mayor um for the past 60 days like and that has been under a democratic elected officials leadership democrats will not save us you know what i mean like it takes action it takes direct action voting is a minimal step um i don't fucking trust ted wheeler i i and at the same time if there's this weird thing of like are these white moms and ted wheeler getting gas going to awaken some fucking you know midwestern to like hey that's not right like i don't know but um i just wanted to say there is a instagram post that i just like think was really important and instead of trying to summarize it or put in my own words i just really want to just read it um it's from ali henny and she says the conversation surrounding portland almost categorically centers whiteness. I don't think that it is okay for the government to illegally detain people, but I also think that it's important that we continue to talk about why the protests are going on in the first place. I think it's important that white liberals, Portland is a liberal city, and other people who are sympathetic to the protests don't center whiteness in the process. The loss of due process is wrong, but let's keep why these white protesters are losing due process. It's because they were protesting for black lives. This is important because it illustrates one of the paradoxes of whiteness. When people break with white solidarity, they are treated the same way that non-white people are treated. I would say similarly versus the same way, but this doesn't diminish what is happening, but rather highlights the disparities in the system. And yes, when you stand up for black people, you will get a dose of what it is like to be black. I just, I think a lot of people now are now like, we're protesting the feds, like we're protesting Trump and we're protesting yada, yada, yada. And it's like, we need to remember that this is about liberation for black people. And that needs to be the center of this conversation versus moms and specifically white moms because black moms have been out here begging for y'all to see their humanity forever so okay (sighs) sorry all i know is they picked (laughs) i feel like portland i have my qualms with portland as a city we all know this but um I just feel like of all places to do this, I'm like, y'all, if there's one thing I know about Portland, it's like, these motherfuckers will protest. Like, I'm not, I, for one, am not shocked or surprised that, like, Portland has been protesting for 60 days straight. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. if anything, when I moved here, that's what my expectation is. Like, (laughs) Portland is just rebellious like that. So I just find it funny that this would be the place that DHS wants to settle down. Because I'm like, do you not know the, like... Portland people are crazy. Like, Mm y'all, y'all will stand up for some shit and will not back down. I will give Portlanders that, absolutely. So, I don't know. The whole thing is just sort of shocking to me, the way that it's playing out. And, I mean, I hear you loud and clear about needing to recenter, you know, um, the Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives in general around this movement and not make it so much, like, white people are being arrested. This is a problem. It's like, well, you know, black people get arrested for far, 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 far less, if not just shot dead. So there's uh, literally like an ice thing happening in, I think it's at a Hampton in Texas where like they're keeping detained children and kids there. And like lawyers have tried to show up from the ACLU to like get access to them and are being like shoved into elevators and pushed out. And like ice is illegally detaining people in a fucking hotel. You know what I mean? Like, but those people are brown, so. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, that just reminded me. I had the, like, scariest nightmare ever just, like, like, like last night that I just remembered. Um, I don't want to repeat it, though. It has to do with 
45 and it's a thing anyways fuck that guy <laughs> um speaking of 45's friend oh god you know we're gonna keep the kanye west conversation short all i know is he's going through it um I have, I think I mentioned it last week, I have feelings about the fact that he's bipolar and is maybe going through a manic episode right now. I saw something on Instagram the other day that sort of summed up my thoughts completely, which is there's still this weird convenience to him having manic episodes while also trying to like announce an album or like a run for presidency. Mm. It's just, it all comes off as just antics and mm what not to sell an album or to get mm. some sort of attention for something. I am not discounting the fact that he is probably actually having a manic episode, mm -hmm. but there's a difference between the convenient timing of that manic episode and the fact that nothing is really actually being done about it. And we can mm -hmm. talk about the Kardashians all we want and about the maybe trying to intervene and him feeling some kind of way about it. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if those people cared about this man like that, it would not matter. Mm -hmm. Like you, if you really cared about Kanye like this, you wouldn't care about the fame, about the money, about all this other stuff getting in the way of it. You would do something about the person you love. If that's the thing holding you back, then again, I just chop it up to antics, the typical Kanye Kardashian antics. Mm. I mean, I think that I hear what you're saying. I also think that there's also a difference between Kanye's disorder, which it has a, yeah, they've been public about it. Um, Kanye's diagnosis and, um, his anti-black and misogynist rhetoric you know like it, and i think that a lot of times things get really swept under the rug under his like but he has mental illness and it's like yes and that doesn't make what he said okay you know what i mean it's like, that accountability stuff we talked about it's absolutely back that's exactly absolutely. what it is you can't caring from accountability go back right go back and listen it's right i hear it loud and clear i i understand how a disorder works and i understand mm -hmm. that a lot of that is out of a person's control but mm -hmm. like there is still a sense of accountability here we have seen kanye do this so many times at mm -hmm. what point does it become a somebody should do something about this instead of just oh let's just throw our hands up in frustration every year or two when okay. he comes out of the works and does this it's like okay well i think the better response instead of like do doing something about it which would be what medicating him against his will like and what does that mean for a family of white people to medicate the only black person in their family like I, i'm not saying that that's like good if you're saving their life then i'm for it like, okay i'm a-okay with that that but, that goes beyond race to me and has to do with somebody's actual well-being and i'm not saying lock somebody up that mm. doesn't want to be but i'm saying again i'll put it like this if i was suffering from something and you were aware of it i don't care if you're white or not do something about it. like talk to me about it throw the intervention that needs to happen i think but a i lot think of if people, the media responded in a different way he wouldn't I think it's not just the family's fault or his fault. I think it's also the way that the media eats it up every fucking time. You know, we've talked about Kanye West for the last three weeks. Uh, yeah. Like that is, I think it's- But again, you're getting something out of that. They're getting something out of uh, that, then, which again shows me that like you care more about the fame than you do about your health. And like- but, but I'm saying if they, if they stopped, if the media stopped eating it up and selling it, maybe Kanye would- have different reactions to his quote genius or different reactions to his manic episodes that like don't result in the sort of positive brain receptor of saying like well you gave me attention whether it was negative or not you know i mean he's tweeting about like everyone knows get out was about me and talking like you know about slut shaming his wife and like saying shit about like what his kids will never do and like the Kardashians deserve to be absolutely critiqued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I don't know. There's something, there's some weird, I feel like Kanye's anti-Black rhetoric has increased since being with them. So it's like, are they the people that I want to save him? As I guess my, mm. my thing where I'm like, I would rather, I don't know, someone else help. You gotta have Black friends for that to happen, Kanye. And well, I don't know if you have any more of those. Well, <laughs> and like how many times are we going to rely on his mother being dead as a way to like, Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and that's a whole other thing, too. It's just, what it boils down to me is Kanye has been in the media, has been famous for a very long time. This is not new for him. Like, none of this is new anymore. So yeah. it gets to a point for me where if media is the constant, if that's the thing that's going to be there and we know that media is not going to change, like yeah. media is about the clicks, what do you do in response to that? Yeah. And for me, it comes down to, it either means you don't actually want to do something about it because, and I mean, I believe Kim said something about this herself, saying that he didn't want to take pills because he thinks it limits his creativity, right. which is a fair argument, you yeah. know? But again, it, it comes down to, then that's a conscious choice you're making. You're consciously choosing not to do something that could help out your mental health because you think that by not taking these drugs, it's actually helping you in another way. I'm not going to say what's right and what's wrong there, but what I'm saying is there is still a conscious decision to say I'm not going to go down this right route that might be a little bit more helpful because it's going to diminish this other part of my life. And from what I can tell from the outside looking in, I'm clearly not friends with Kanye or anybody famous. From the outside looking in, it looks like I'm choosing fame over my mental health, which we could start a whole Britney Spears conversation around that too, but that just... Yeah. I think we know celebrity culture can be so damaging to mental health that yeah. it's sad when you get to the point where you have a disorder or a diagnosis this intense yeah. and you're choosing not to do something about it because you'd rather still be famous instead. Yeah. I, yeah, there's actually, I, I mean, not to talk about another misogynistic black man, but Dave Chappelle talks about this clip I saw recently earlier in his career where he was talking about, uh, a comedian friend of his, um, I can't remember which one it is. Anyway, the clip is about, um, hey, I was friends with these people before they got really famous and then they got really famous and now they're breaking down in the middle of the street. Like maybe there's something evil about the pursuit of this game, you yeah. know? And like, I think that speaks to both Hollywood and the media and yada yada, but I also think it's capitalism. I think that there is something evil about the aspiration to money and wealth and fame that like it, you lose parts of your humanity achieving it or trying yeah. to, achieve it, you know what I mean? Um, unless you do something, which I mean, I don't even think that these people are immune, but at least like Beyonce and Jay-Z like isolate and they make sure the only people around them are their family. You know what I mean? And like, I mean, not that those people are exempt from how fame changes them. And I think that they have at least done, uh, made attempts to, honestly, Rihanna's kind of similar. Like she's made sure those people around her are her best friends from Barbados. <laughs> like since yeah. the beginning, you know what I mean? Like what a bunch of randos in Hollywood that are just out like trying to make you more famous so they can take your money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to move on. Okay, let's move on to, I don't know, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about... What is P-Valley on? What is P-Valley? <gasps> Yo, I, maybe I should have saved this for my, like, take your meds, but P-Valley okay. is this show on Stars, and I had read about it somewhere and was just like, I'm interested in this, about strippers. Uh, okay. Um, but I read it, and I, like, watched the first two episodes, and, oh, is it about strippers, honey? It's like... 
strippers and i think they're in mississippi or alabama oh i've and seen a clip of this it's done so good like this the plot and narrative it's really it's done really well there's not it's more like, of a, like a black um hustlers but a tv show yeah and not as like uh a little bit more gritty and a little bit more like the, the character development is done a lot better and cool. i feel like there's no like male gaze so like even when they're stripping and stuff like they're concentrating more on like the skill and effort it takes to like more of like the effort it takes to go up to the top of a stripper pole and come all the way down and all this yeah. other stuff versus like look at this fat ass shaking i mean the sure. ass is fat that's shaking don't get me wrong and sure. there's nudity um its own stars but it's far less just like male like right kind of you know a, whatever it's far less male gaze and i mean there's even a scene uh, i was telling a friend i was like stars is going for it huh because mm-hmm. there's like a scene where one of the black side characters who's a guy is like having phone sex with one of the strippers uh-huh. and he just like gets naked like dick fully out i was like oh okay hot and then just starts masturbating to the point and then like they don't show him like when he's coming but then they show the after some like the aftermath and there's just cum all over his like stomach and i was like whoa stars like Do they show just... a hard dick they show a semi-hard dick it's not okay. all the way hard i it was very close to porn but <laughs> i think they they did it as close as they could to porn without making sure. it porn um i mean speaking about like the talent of stripping i I mean, before I moved to Portland, for those that don't know, is like a big stripper capital of the world mm-hmm. in some ways. And in some ways, that's scary because of a history of sex trafficking here. And in some ways, it is awesome because it centers this talent and it centers this autonomy. And I accidentally, <laughs> I had never been to a strip club before, and I had a lot of ideas in my head around it being harmful and gross or whatever. And, you know, there aren't a lot of strip clubs that cater to me so like why would I go but anyway I was like partying with some straight coworker when I first moved here and then we walked into this club and I thought it was like a music club and then I round the corner and someone is like I wasn't even looking I was my head was up and I was texting and some dude was like put your phone away I'm like why the fuck would you tell me to put my phone away in a club and as I'm like coming up to yell at him I'm like looking around and there's strippers everywhere I was like Okay, didn't know oh. this where we were, but okay. <laughs> um, and that was the first time that I'd ever seen that, like, acrobatics of it, that I'd ever seen, like, someone, like, coochie grip at the top and then, like, come down and, like, slam. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever oh, seen in my I entire know. life. It's my, so awesome. my first strip club experience was at none other than Magic City in Atlanta. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, it did not disappoint. And since that day in college, ever since then, I'm like, I love strippers and I love strip clubs. I don't <laughs> care. Um, yeah, strip clubs are great. And P-Valley does a good job. I mean, I, I think the third episode comes out today, which is a Sunday. Um but I mean, those first two episodes alone, like, sold me. Like I said, the plot is great. Just how they focus on these women's lives and, like, what they're going through, why they're stripping, um, whether it's to, like, escape domestic abuse or to raise kids or whatever. And again, that independence and sort of the skill and talent for stripping. Yeah. Oh, it's just done so well. And it's called yeah. P-Valley because it stands for Pussy Valley. But Love. obviously they can't put that in the title for stars. So. Love. It's good. It's great. I recommend it if you have stars. If you don't have stars, get it. Like I, I think it has like a ninety-eight on Rotten Tomatoes. It's yeah. a really good show. Yeah, sex work is real work, and that sounds like an awesome show. Yeah. Um, I speaking of another show, I finally binged and got around to watching Legendary. And <gasps> it's like 
I have you finish it, finish it, like the end. Yeah, the whole thing. Okay. I um, I feel some criticism around the fact that like Laomi is the only ballroom person on that show, right. and like I hope they get rid of Jamila next season. Yeah, I mean, I or or allow Laomi to be the host, like allow mm-hmm. Laomi to be that role. I don't know. And I, it, it, Jamila honestly was a little bit better than I anticipated. And it was better because they had, she had already gotten so much shit for being on it that they kind of edited her out in some ways. Like yeah. they just would like cut to her whenever she had the, okay, this is the next category or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to have it like even more rooted in ballroom. I thought like Megan's like completely very stoned ass the entire time. <laughs> So funny. Like, I love her feedback. It was always just, or what she's looking for. She was like, I was looking for a hot episode. girl shit. <laughs> I'm just looking for a hot girl shit. I'm just looking for somebody that's going to come out here and like bust it down. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking for somebody that's going to like make me excited. I'm like, Megan, what do you, every single time you want Fully to reclined with her feet in Long Roach's <laughs> face. <in the> <laughs> like, it's really funny. But also like the most emotional one, just like crying at everything. Yeah. But she's stoned as <laughs> shit. Her eyes can't even open. It's so good. Um, <laughs> Speaking of Megan, so I guess it's been confirmed that Tony, what's his name? Tony Lanes? Tory Lanes? Tory Lanes. I'm looking at Tony Lanes on the dock and I wanted it's Tory Lanes. Okay, well, also, I didn't (laughs) know his last name was Lanes until you said it on the last episode because we didn't know who killed him. I had only seen it written in lowercase and I thought it was like Tory Iannis. Oh. <laughs> I had like never heard and I was like oh. and then you were like Tory Lanez and I was like oh that is his name Tony That's- I hear that I, <laughs> I love it <laughs> I guess you have a new rap name if you ever need uh, one I guess but like <laughs> I don't know I don't want to talk too much about this I guess just like it's really sad to me that someone is really dealing with trauma and has been like memefied to the point of like mockery when a man who is Mimi Megan Thee Stallion why haven't I seen it so maybe it's more of a Twitter thing, but like she also was kind of clapping back to people and like, I can't believe how disrespectful you guys have, <laughs> like you guys are, cause they're either begging her to talk about it, but she pretty much was just like, someone I trusted a lot harmed me. And I need to like take some time to think about that. And that's all you need to know. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, we talked about it a bit, a bit last week around why that's sad in her own stuff, but like, I don't know, leave Megan alone. She's like fucking dealing with some real shit. I just think it's, I know. I don't know. Uh, in some sad news, uh, did you ever watch Regis and Kathy Lee with your mom? Let me tell you, Regis, <laughs> Regis Philbin dying yesterday broke my little heart. Like, Regis, yeah, that little was, old man. I know. Been and like I, a mean, sweet I don't know if he did anything somehow. problematic in his life, but yeah, I, I right now I'm just like, all I remember is Regis from being a kid, Regis and Kathy Lee, I think, and mm-hmm. then it was Regis and Kelly, and mm-hmm. then who Regis was higher, and who wants to be a millionaire. That man has been around my entire life. That reminds me, is Bob Barker still alive? No. Wheel of Fortune, did he die? That's not Wheel of Fortune. Bob Barker is I'm Price sorry. is Right. Price is Right. I feel like no, but I don't want to wish a man dead that's not. I no, don't. I don't. I just sometimes old white men, I have to figure out sure. who's where. But dang, Regis. <sighs> he was funny. And I've seen a lot of clips just like that's what happens when people die. Like there's a clip of him going on the Letterman show uh, just in a full Shrek costume. Like he and he just like pops on just because he like they were doing like Halloween on Regis and Kelly. And then he like just walks across studios because they're all in the same place. Walks across studios in his full Shrek costume. It's like, hey, how you doing? It's really funny. Um, there's a clips of him like, 
Oh, there's a clip of him interviewing Meryl Streep with Kelly, and he misreads a cue card. Um, so it says, like, it says, got her first break, but he reads it as she, like, broke her leg. And Meryl Streep's like, my daughter did what? <laughs> like, he's like, uh, and then Kelly's like, got her big break. And Meryl's like face, like she just starts cackling and they bring over the cue card. He was like, what do you think this says? Like, what, what does that look like to you? Um, oh my gosh. Very, I, I mean, pretty very, funny. he made his like senile shit very funny versus like sad, you know, like yeah, he yeah, yeah. played into it and did a good job. And yeah, oh I mean, goodness. I think I think about my I thought about my mom a lot, but just because like that would be kind of this sort of bonding thing sometimes. Is like it would be be on in the morning sometimes before we went to school, and like we enjoyed watching that yeah. show together, um, even if I didn't really understand or care or whatever about it. But yeah, I was like, I, it's just a he's a staple of that. It's sad. I also um, Lady Red Couture died yesterday too, and that. Not everyone may know her. I, if you um, if you ever watched Hey Queen on or listened to Hey Queen the podcast, it was Johnny McGovern's kind of co-host. Um, she is kind of a drag queen's drag queen. She's a trans woman um, who's been around in LA for a long time. Was a mother to a lot of folks. Had a big, beautiful laugh, sang live, um, and was just talented as fuck and funny as fuck, and uh, just died from health complications that were very unexpected so watching people mourn her yesterday was um that was sad to me and i just wanted to make sure that we called her out because she was fucking <sighs> around 2020 is a tough year it really is and to make it tougher Nicki minaj Nicki minaj is pregnant <laughs> oh right all these I bitches in her sons I love that this didn't show up on the list because I was <clears throat> literally telling a friend earlier, I was like, how did I just miss in the news cycle that, Ni that Nicki Minaj was pregnant? And then we both just decided that nobody cares. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's true. There's so many other things happening that like Nicki Minaj being pregnant is at the very bottom of the totem pole of like <laughs> things I care about right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's a, uh... good for her. I mean, but good for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that she wanted a baby. I'm happy that she's getting one. If she was looking for press for it, though, I just feel like now was yeah. the right time. <laughs> um, something I did care about is um, Shakely's Drag Race, Shay One. <gasps> uh, I watched it yesterday. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we've talked about how that show is annoying in a lot of ways, but watching eight, nine episodes of my one of my if not my favorite drag queen from that show just kill it every week like just yeah. like just watching my favorite person do my favorite things i was just like i'm here for it she looked beautiful she's great uh, she, she deserved that smile i i needed that smile from her you know what i mean like it was shout out to four black queens in a row yes evie like... monet jada shay is that right yeah that's it gorge 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 time to um, course correct rupaul yeah <laughs> Um, have you heard Flo Millie's album? I have not heard the album. I've heard a couple of her songs, though, and I'm a fan. Okay. It is going to be your perfect beach playlist. Just, like, put it on. Okay. We can talk about it more tomorrow after you, or uh, next week, next whenever week. you listen to it. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it is so fun. It is so good. It, it kind of all sounds a little bit like one and a half songs that are long, but the rhymes are um, inventive enough that it, it works for me. I think okay. it's really good. I really liked it a lot. And you probably won't listen or like this but the chick's new album is so good it is so i probably won't but good. i believe you i believe you um so i mean we talked about, what about Marsh, taylor Marsh. swift's new album we're not gonna talk about that 
I prefer not. <laughs> I'm joking. I have, I don't listen to Taylor Swift at all. I don't even. Yeah. I was surprised she had an album, and I said, "Okay, good for her." I moved on from like my blind hate and like, etc. But I don't find I don't hate her as much as I used to. I also I'm never gonna like check for her. You know what I mean? Like right. And I also just I if a song is good enough, like it'll come Swift music. <laughs> it's just right. it if a song is, is good enough, it'll come into the ether for me where I won't have to search for it. Like there we go. Like Bad Blood, not a bad song. I never went out of my way to look for it, but like it hit my ears often yeah. and so i know the words because if it shows whatever, up on the pollen spotify playlist then that's how I oh know my god not pollen <laughs> um, <laughs> could you imagine taylor swift on pollen god, oh my I, would, god. I would sue spotify <laughs> but this chicks album <laughs> so we talked about march march and it uh i mean that is one thing and i think it, it, it the video works really well for like naming the thing but i the the album is really it is just a breakup album and it's her talking mad shit on her shitty husband and like there's a song called how do you sleep at night where she's like you brought her to the hollywood bowl she told me she loved my music and i joked back and i was like as long as you don't love my man that's fine and then nothing's funny about it and then she's like you can call the girl who left her tights on my boat and tell him she can have them back like She's like, who's going to pay your taxes now that I'm not? Is your dad going to help you? I am over here. She is no. over here just spilling all the... I love it. I Natalie love Maines it. gave us high <laughs> drama. I feel like even if you don't like the music, it deserves one listen just to kind of hear the story of her. You know I love the drama. I'm about to listen to it just to get yeah. the tea. I mean, the, the, the opening track is called Gaslighter. If that like yeah. just kind of tells you anything. And, it, and it's also Jack Antonoff produced. So it's like, um, oh, well, speaking of Taylor Swift and like Lord and all those people that he writes for. Um, Who the fuck is Lord at? I know. I'm still, I have to let her go. I'm sorry. Pure heroin. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to take a quick break? Speaking of heroin. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's the transition. <laughs> We're talking about drugs, bitch. See you in a second. <laughs> Um, I don't want to now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then maybe we're back and maybe we're not. <laughs> we're back to take our meds. No, we're not taking our meds, but we are taking something very close, which is uh, talking about drugs. Yeah. This is a drug episode. Um, obviously, <laughs> drugs, it's just like any topic that we cover, it's huge. It runs the span of all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um we are going to focus a little bit more on um, just like our experience with drugs, sort of how it's been helpful and beneficial um, in Mm -hmm. terms of our mental health, um, but also ways that it may have been detrimental uh, to our mental health. Mm -hmm. Not really going to get too much into like, at least I don't really want to, into like addiction or like recovery or maybe not even the hard, hard stuff, but Mm -hmm. you know, we'll have a light conversation around it um, because these days we're just having fun. We talked about sex last week, so let's talk about the next thing, which is drugs. Yeah. Um, Maddie, what is, oh, go ahead. I I just, I think this conversation kind of has, we kind of talked about the beginning around um, just like off recording, just like around the idea that drugs have a very certain stigma in this country. Drugs have a very disgusting history of being policed in this country, especially on black and brown folks and um, addiction and the consequences of addiction are horrific. And 
while those things are very, very serious, um, I don't think that neither of you nor I have that experience. So we're just going to focus our drug conversation on our experiences. Um, because I, yeah, I mean, there is something really real about in the same way that we were talking about sex being used negatively, you know, gays that are, you know, addicted to Tina or alcohol or these other things like in order to find, um, or desire like love and connection and like combating social anxiety, um, they can lead to like really rough roads and really old looking people that are not very old looking, you know? Oh, and that, that is, that alone keeps me away from yeah. certain drugs. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my experience. I feel like in New York, I was a little bit of like a, a party boy in the sense that like I did, I smoked a lot of weed. I drank a lot. Um, and there were some illegal substances as well yeah. that I did. Um, I have calmed down a lot since then, but a lot of it is, I think I've realized, shit, drugs are like exhausting, personally. Exhausting. Like I find them like at this age, age 32, about to go home 33, like yeah. shit. Like if you bring drugs around me, I'm like, I maybe like, what do I have to do tomorrow? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I have things to do? No, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that, like, I, I shade anybody that uses drugs or, you know, if you're mushrooms, I am a fan of. They still leave me feeling kind of hungover the next day. Um, mm. I feel like weed is obviously something I smoke a lot of. I probably smoke more weed now than I did ever, like, before in college or even, like, right after college. Um, well, there's nowhere to go. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> even before the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> I was still smoking weed like every single day. Well, I mean, you can just walk down the street and get it, so. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy in Portland, but I mean, I don't know, like I, I find drug use just, it's tiring for me. I feel like yeah. I find myself more and more these days being like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, you're not speaking to this directly, but I think something that, um, so I don't necessarily get a hangover for mushrooms, right? I, I find it to be like a much more natural upper and it, it kind of softens colors for me and I, and I, and I like it. And um, it doesn't make me feel that different than say like another type of upper like Coke or Adderall or maybe Molly or something like that, you know, but drugs affect different people differently. You know what I mean? Like some people have more addictive personalities. So like even just kind of trying something is automatically going to trigger them to like really run for something, you know? Yeah, but yeah. like, I think if it, I am also, as I'm getting older, feeling more comfortable saying no. And I think that part of my social anxiety when I was younger entered, uh, created more of an entry point. I like, if I said yes, people like me and then that all like, whatever and then i would it's not that i had a bad experience sometimes but i was just like oh man i did a bag with some people i don't really know and i like don't like i talk too much <laughs> and, I, and it's like i don't know those people well enough to like talk like that you know what i mean and, yeah. and so it's like it's more of the embarrassment and shame afterwards that i was feeling that i had to kind of deal with and then i mean for me i think when I was younger, I, like with eating, 
like with sex even, you know, I wanted some sense of control over my life. And there, a, a way to sometimes engage in control is by controlling how you let go, if that makes any sense. And mm. so, um, you know, I was like smoking weed with people out of a crushed can in like, and like just full like idiot shit because yeah. drug use was such a big no-no that there wasn't any education around correct ways to engage with it or safe ways to engage with drugs because i think that there's lots of ways to engage safely with drugs and try new experiences that don't lead you to it is very easy to cross over from safe to unsafe when you're engaging mm -hmm. with drug use, which mm -hmm. I think is important to have like buddies, people who have done the drug before around you know who your dealer is, or at least like know where the supply is coming from. And then also acknowledge that even if all, you have all of those things, there's still unknowns. And so you are engaging in risk and, uh, and you know, no matter where we get some of our drugs, they're going to be laced in blood. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the, 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 the supply chain and how those things happen there is no ethical way really to consume those things you know um which is why sometimes i don't mind mushrooms because they're just like found you know like yeah. the, um but wow look at you bringing up the ethics of drugs i'm like <laughs> oh i have never once thought about who's making this i mean like yes i thought about who's trafficking it but i've always just been like whatever i got these drugs but well, yeah i mean that's what the the that that's how our brain processes that and in our drug conversation i mean we we brought it up a little bit but like caffeine and alcohol are these like very uh accepted forms of mind altering that america has decided are fine you know what i mean mm -hmm. like there's rules around like when you can drive and like where you can be drunk publicly but there isn't really a lot of like shame or stigma around the idea of getting fucking wasted you know but i also think that our legal age limits and the ways that alcohol is simultaneously like sex praised and also shamed it creates a different alcoholic environment than say places in europe where like drinking is more just like kind of part of a culture and people aren't getting like aren't always binge drinking in the same yeah. way you know i feel like you bring up a good point as well <clears throat> at least what was coming up for me was um like being younger and like wanting to fit in but then also you know when you're younger you feel this sort of i am immortal mm -hmm. like you know nothing can harm me like i'm bulletproof like mm -hmm. no matter what and i feel like that was something i went through when i was younger where it was just like yeah i can do anything like give it to me i can do it it's fine i'm gonna live um and now being a bit older i'm just like uh you know maybe let's not have my heart like crap out on me so soon. yeah or like i can feel the sort of panic attack this is bringing on for me and i yes. and i don't like it so how about we just don't do this right now yeah. or we don't do it in this setting or with these people you you definitely become a little bit more aware of like everything happening around you who you're with what this substance is and what it's going to do to you mm -hmm. i mean i remember taking I've never taken Adderall like consistently, but I mm -hmm. remember at one point in like grad school and right after like taking it to just like bang out a paper real quick. Mm -hmm. That were like, one time I needed to clean the entire apartment, like not just my room, but like the living room, the kitchen, like damn near my roommate's rooms. And I was just mm -hmm. like, I'm gonna pop an Adderall and do this. Yeah. And it was great and it was fun. Now, if you offer me an Adderall, I will probably slap it out of your hand. Like mm -hmm. it, it causes me so much anxiety and like, 
it's not a fun thing that I feel like I'm being productive on. It feels like I do it and I'm just in my head the whole time being mm. stressed out. And then when it finally goes, I'm just like, well, what was the point of doing any of that? Yeah. So I also know that people's relationship with drugs change as time changes and yeah. especially what that drug is doing for you and what it's not doing for you anymore. Right. I mean, you know, uh, you're bringing up the fact that like that is a prescribed substance, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? The, and uh, my experience well, I'll specifically talk about Adderall first. So like Adderall honestly was the thing that started making me question if I had ADHD or not, because I was offered Adderall and instead of it making me feel like super kind of cracked and like kind of like jittery and like running around and super whatever, it like kind of calmed me down. And I didn't understand why some folks on Adderall talk a million miles a minute and like hands are shaking, eyeballs buzzing or whatever. Me. And for me, <laughs> and for me, it was like, I can finally think clearly. Like, obviously if I take too much Adderall, that is not what happens. And I have those same feelings, but the right dose actually is super helpful for me. And especially going into grad school, like all of that was very new for me. And um, it, but, you know, taking it recreationally, I would be at a party, you know, and everyone else would kind of like level up and be like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Like, Mama. and I was just kind of like, I feel like I can finally function. <laughs> my oh my brain's like finally like connected in the right way. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, there's also something scary around what people who are on Adderall since age like four, like what, what how does your yeah. body like adapt to needing that to live and function? And, and also, you know, prescribed, opioids and like xanax and these other things and that are so scary and i was world. i'm afraid of it well i mean because like the moment that you can't get access to the prescribed stuff anymore you start doing heroin you know and it's like it's scary and i think that there are drugs that are scary and and to me injectables have always been really scary but like i don't know i'm more of a party drug person absolutely i like besides weed i don't really I don't really take drugs to like chill out exactly. Like I'm, I'm wanting mm -hmm. to enhance some sort of experience, but also something I've been thinking about is like the best advice I've been able to find within myself <laughs> over the course of years of experimenting with stuff is, so you were talking about, you know, feeling infinite and invincible. I felt like I was fulfilling the prophecy that I had sort of understood for myself, which is that I like wouldn't live past 23. And so like, I just like, I had no understanding of a future for myself, which is like, yeah, okay, that's sad, but I just didn't, you know? And I like, whether that was kind of like borderline suicidality or just like not really having any future possibilities in such a Christian environment that I just couldn't imagine what it looked like to be a happy future. I was like, it might as well just like do what I can while I have the strength and then I'll probably just get taken out by something, you know? And mm -hmm. So drugs for me, while I wasn't like going crazy, I was saying yes to stuff because I was just like, well, I mean, I'm not going to be alive that long anyway. And I like, I know that's kind of fucked up to say, but that's like how I came to it, you know? Yeah. And um, I think, oh, the piece of advice that I th am thinking about is just like, never take drugs if you're feeling bad. They're never going to make you feel better. <laughs> like, like if you're, they might elevate or unlock a little bit of serotonin for a minute. But that minute is going to be short because the next day and the day after that and the day after that, you are going to be serotonin depleted. Oh, yeah. And especially if you already, like, I've had to really like take a step back from 
Molly, which I never like took steps into. I wasn't like doing Molly all the time, but I would say probably like once a month or something like that. And it wasn't until it took me too long to realize, man, I do Molly. And then the next week I can't get out of bed, not because I'm tired, but because I'm so fucking depressed. Like, and I even would do the kind of like replenish vitamins or whatever that like hippies tell you to take. And I like, it wouldn't help me. I like, I would just, as a depressive person, it sends me, yes, I have a great night, but at the expense of a terrible week. And so I've had to like, even if I kind of would enjoy to engage with it, I've had to make sure I take small doses or just say no and um, have a better week, which is like, you know, the power of saying no and consent is really helpful. Right. And that's just science as well. Like I have really gotten into, and maybe it's just the geek and dork in me, but like I get a weird kick out of just like, reading about a drug and like really falling down the rabbit hole on it and and just like understanding it forwards and backwards whether I'm gonna do it or not it's just Mm -hmm. like I just want to know and I remember like being in New York however many years ago that was at this point like six or seven years ago and Molly being like the I remember when Molly like hit the scene it was like the thing to do um and I remember like I don't remember if it was reading up on this or just like talking to friends about it, but like getting this better understanding of like, oh, like they, they, what is it called? Like Suicide Tuesday or something like Mm -hmm. that. Because like, if you do it on a Friday, by the time Tuesday hits, you're going to be like really depressed and really in your feelings about it. Um, Which is why it can be hard to notice the pattern because it's not like, it's not like drinking where you're hung over the next day. The next day, right? You're hung over days, days and days later and you're like, what yeah. the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah, because the fucking serotonin and dopamine is depleted and therefore you mm-hmm. can't find, you literally can't find happiness and joy and stuff because the mm-hmm. chemical that, that elicits that feeling and that emotion it's is tired. just tired. It's, it's not worn even out. there. It's worn out. It needs to rest. Yeah. Um, and that can be scary. But I also think that on the flip side, if you have a drug like... <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm going to assume heroin um, yeah. where like, I don't know what the, what the come down for that is like, but I know that it's scary enough that it's like, Oh no, I'll just keep doing this drug until, yeah. so that I don't ever have to experience that sort of come down, which I think that that's a motivating force for some people as well. Right. Yeah. Like it's just like wanting to have that infinite and in, invincible feeling all the time to the point where when mm-hmm. you have to come back to reality, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go back there because that's filled with negativity and all these bad things I don't want to have to experience again. And then mm-hmm. I think, you know, you run into that that slippery slope of it turning into yeah. a cycle and just constantly using something to sort of run from a problem or to not have to engage with, with reality. Yeah, and like a result of like these like, post reagan world of like just say no yeah like with sex education drug education i think is really important like i think if you told kids the truth which is that like yo drugs are fucking rad (laughs) like there's lots of really scary consequences that can happen with drugs and if you don't figure out a balance or a safety net or an accountability structure within this you might only want to be high and then that is where there's a problem you know but there's like there are ways to deal with the consequences that can um not be so detrimental sometimes like you're saying knowledge is part of that you're like why am i feeling bad oh yeah okay this isn't real i'm just like 
I just need to rest and drink more water today and maybe exercise. And that would like the feelings that, of, that I'm feeling on this come down are not real, but like that becomes hard to distinguish if you don't have that knowledge around it, you know? Exactly. And, and as someone who had been unmedicated with depression, anxiety, all this stuff. So like with social anxiety, I would like smoke weed and then like drink. And then like, maybe if I got an upper towards the end of the night, like, you know, I'd feel great. I could talk to anyone. I, my problem quote was solved. And yet, it's not because I'm creating more problems for me the next week with hangovers and being tired and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like that shitty, when you get like a shitty bag of cocaine and you're like, then the next week, just like headaches every single week, like that's not a good feeling. No. Um, and at the same time, there is also really wonderful experiences with that drug. I think uh, when I, <laughs> when I was like 21 and moved here, I always understood cocaine as like a hard, scary drug. I like had, I never experienced it or really knew many people around me doing it. Or what I actually discovered is that people, so many people do it, they just don't fucking tell you. Everybody you, that is an adult does cocaine. Or has done <laughs> I'm it. I'm convinced right. that if you are an adult in America, you do cocaine or have done cocaine at least once and realize that it is actually not like meth or heroin well i mean it it can get to that place but like it's not well i mean uh, uh, what i was gonna say is like if you've done cocaine you've accidentally done math <laughs> like that is true I, <laughs> like <yeah>. um <laughs> just because of the way that this shit is cut in this country but yeah um i guess i i'm constantly riding this border between both normalizing drugs and then also trying not to be disrespectful around people's struggles with drugs you know like that is a that is an internal battle for me but like i remember going to the doctor i think i maybe talked about this uh in an earlier episode where there's like a kind of drug and alcohol intake and mm -hmm. i was like checking some stuff and i was looking and then i, I was like hmm uh, according to this you know i am like uh, an at-risk person or whatever but then my doctor was normalizing it and was like listen you're just kind of like gay and you party sometimes like there's a different kind of standard See? in there some ways than like um it needs to be a gay yeah because like, if you're a sleepy bitch like why are like you're not going to be interested in staying up till four in the morning you know what i mean like why would you be i'm raising my hand right now <laughs> <laughs> God, like jesus that i just had anxiety with you staying up till four in the morning like no <laughs> why would we do that because when i was young i loved to just like go out and party and then have those like long conversations over a pack of cigarettes and then just like watch the sun come up and go to bed and like uh i also would sleep until two or three p.m yeah. you know what i mean like it just i i was very much an i like the night weather like especially in the summer it's so fucking hot in north carolina like why would i want to no i just was yeah. like i want to be like in my bed um and i want to, to talk to my friends and i mean i will say that drugs have made me feel closer with some of my friends you know like it unlocks sometimes some of your shields go down which is mm -hmm. a good thing if you are in a safe loving environment with people you love and care about you both get to enter into that space of vulnerability that yes is kind of opened up by a substance but it if that is handled with care it can make you feel very close to someone you know right. and and then that also though the same thing happens your walls go down and then you say shit you regret and like that and then there's like a shame spiral that happens. So it's not even about the chemical, it's about like the ways we think about ourselves and blame ourselves for things that can also be a part of the ways that we engage with drugs. And Which is what it always boils down to is like, you have to really know yourself mm -hmm. 
before engaging in just about any behavior, to be honest. And I mean, the same can be said with sex. And I am one of my favorite phrases to use, especially when it comes to like drug use, is just like everything in moderation. Like that's just a rule of thumb to live life by. Like I'm never going to say, no, don't do Coke at all. I'm not going to say, no, don't go trip on acid at all. But I'm going to say like, if you're going to do those things, maybe don't do those things every single day. Maybe don't do those things for like 12 hours straight. Like how about you just do it for a little bit, put it down, acknowledge that experience, like Mm -hmm. accept it, appreciate it for what it was. And then maybe don't do it again until like you're in the right mood or the right mindset for it but and speaking of like a different type of drug experience than the other ones we've been talking about kind of in in more party scenarios which these fall under that too but like acid and uh these psychedelic drugs acid and psilocybin uh mushrooms like for me i think have allowed me to accept the world around me in a much more um Oh God, I was going to say beautiful way, which is just like makes me want to vomit. But um, <laughs> you love prey over here. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I Drugs love I, prey. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but what I, I, I think what I mean though, is that just like when you have these altered state experiences that are safe and in an environment where you're not going to harm yourself and you're like, you know, that is all the given. You can kind of see the ways that the world is kind of fabricated like we engage in a fabricated world all the time and call it reality and so then you have these kind of altered state experiences that feel just as real and you don't necessarily feel high you just feel like you're experiencing a different type of world and and then when you're kind of sober you're like well it's not that i think that that is necessarily true but i can understand how that can be true and that good and evil exist at the exact same time you know like (laughs) it's helped me understand this sort of concept of buddhist balance then like anything else in my life of just people talking about it. It's like, you kind of have to experience this mitigated controlled chaos to kind of come back into the world and be like, well, this chaos is not as chaotic as what it could be, you know? And um, I mean, there's, there's a study that has been going on that both with acid and psychedelics that like in controlled environments with talk therapy and like with controlled doses can legitimately help people move through trauma. And this isn't just like some hippie, there is like in studies that have been uh, medical peer-reviewed studies. Yes. And like the government shut them, shut some of them down, especially the acid studies because of the ways that honestly, I think it was unlocking conscious, you know, it's like, it's like if you, do psychedelics it it kind of makes you less susceptible to blindly obeying authority you know what i mean you're like that's fucking that's not even real (laughs) like it's just like a a system that's created to oppress people and you can kind of like anyway those are different scenarios but i there's lots to learn more and i the reason we don't know more about those things is because the u.s government has actively sought to shut down that exploration um because you can't really make a lot of money off of it's not a pill you know what i mean like um and i i simultaneously have some concerns and fears about government having more involvement uh with drugs and like well what is the fda and in terms of like how accountable are they to the american people and that kind of thing but i also am like what would it mean to people who are rightfully fearful in some ways of pharmaceuticals to go engage on a kind of like trip with a therapist and like kind of move through some mental blocks that um, there has been 
data that shows opens you up, you know, and, and. Ooh, it take a lot, a lot of trust. And let me tell you who ain't going to do it. Black people. Well, <laughs> it takes, that takes, I mean, just in and of itself, drug use with others, regardless of it being a therapist or the government involved takes trust. So yeah. like it becoming a sort of coordinated program through, you know, the medical field or through the government or through whoever, like, would require, I mean, therapy in and of itself, it takes a lot of trust, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I've had my therapist for almost three months now, and we are just now getting to a place where I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. girl, I'll let you know this thing. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, you know, just trying to imagine then adding, like, a, a substance on top of that, that is going to help, but just, like, making sure that somebody feels okay with it, I could imagine there being tons of hurdles like sure i mean uh i think i'm naming like uh these things have happened and they are supported by science and 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 also we have a lot of space between when those types of studies can be replicated mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. masses you know mm -hmm. but i just um i feel like one of the reasons i like mushrooms is like going out into nature and it allowing me to deal with my problems in a kind of externalized way sometimes and um I don't know. I, everyone's going to have different relationships to drugs. People are going to listen to us talk about it. And, you know, there's going to be people who are like, absolutely not. No, never wrong, heathen, sinful, bad. Um, but I think that there's also plenty of people who might listen and be like, hear what you're saying, but that's a slippery slope into a place where I was and I have many a story and some jail time to talk to you about. And yeah. that's something too. But um, I think you and I have both had experiences that have both helped and harmed us <laughs> and unfortunately we can be some guinea pigs for people and like you know if you have if you have the ability to say no and you are choosing to say yes that's great if you have um you know a safe group around you if you have someone who knows where you got it if you have um some sort of controlled environment and a safety plan out like all of those things can generally result in a relatively positive drug experience and everyone is going to have mistakes i know i've had mistakes and been really both either embarrassed or um you know realizing that i engaged on a wild night because i was fucking sad and like yeah. i wish i had just dealt with my sadness instead of trying to intake it out of me you know what i mean but um i think no, that, that I takes it. that takes practice sometimes you know it does it takes practice i have i will share this tidbit talk about vulnerability for a second mm -hmm. i have come very close to an ambulance just like showing up to get me yeah. <laughs> because i was just like this is i think i need to go to the hospital right now yeah. um did not happen but i've definitely called 911 before and then had to call 911 back and be like okay i'm just kidding i'm fine i think yeah <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it, it takes practice and yeah. it sometimes takes scary experiences like that to be like, yeah. all right, maybe not this one this time. Which is why so many people are like, I will never do it because like you never always really know when that time is going to be. Right. But I think entering into it in the right mindset avoids a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, and everybody is different. Like I would like to say my tolerance i have a pretty high tolerance for most things yeah. um i have a lot of friends that do not i have a friend who i remember she smoked weed for the first time in maybe like a year or two and was convinced that the weed was laced with something and sure. like 
could not exit my room like at all because she was just that freaked out about it yeah and i was just like girl you're tripping like we smoke the same stuff i'm about to go to our friend's house and hang out like you can just hang out in my bed if you want to but i have to understand that like that is some people's experiences and they they make those own decisions for themselves and please don't take drugs like please don't take drugs anybody is forcing on you like i know we joke a lot around like people joke around joke around a lot about like peer pressure and like oh they're peer pressuring me or whatever like yeah. yes it can be like fun and games for a little while but if like somebody is genuinely like pressuring you to do something that you do not want that's to do, fucked up that's fucked up and you probably yeah. shouldn't be hanging out and if you have friends that do that in a situation that is not them doing that re- remind them that that's fucked up be like yeah. hey the last two times we've gone out, I have told you over and over again that I don't want to do this. And you've asked me five times and that's mean, like yeah. it is disrespectful. And then it seems like I'm like not down for something or I'm like not cool or whatever, when really we just have different choices and leave me the fuck alone about it. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that that is, have the power to do that. Shut down those people and you're like, I feel like I've tried to, I like drugs, but when I see someone being offered drugs for like the fifth time, I often am like, hey, they said no. Like, yeah, not, no one needs to get in a fight right now, but just, they said no and listen to that. Let's move on. You need to ask them once, one time. I'll ask you one time. Mm-hmm. You want some of this? No? Yeah. Okay. You hit me I, up if you do. If you change I don't your mind, leave you, you out. will find me. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to leave you out, but like, if you don't want to end, that's on you. That's on you. Um, for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a break and take some meds. Okay. We're almost ready to come back again. Okay, Shawnee. Um... Talk about drugs. Uh, I feel like a couple weeks ago we took some essential oils. Uh, a little bit, a little bit more um, popping some pills. Um, what meds are you taking this week? Oh, I feel like I want to share this news, but maybe I should wait till next week to share the news. I'll wait till next week. What a fucking tease. I know, I'm a tease. Let's just say there's a big life transition happening for me, and I'm excited about it. Um, but aside from that... My guess is Shawnee's pregnant. Oh, don't tell them. Like, Immaculate until, conception. <laughs> I have to wait till what? Like three weeks or three months? Three weeks. I don't three know. Three weeks. I don't know. It's been four weeks. Don't tell them. <laughs> okay. I wish I was pregnant. Um, well, stop teasing us. What's What you got? I have been enjoying a lot of bike rides lately. That's well. I'll go with that. I uh, booked it to my, my car got towed the other day because it was having some shit going on, but I had to meet the tow truck and I got on my bike and got like across town in 10 minutes. I was very impressed with myself, but I was also really fucking tired when I got there out of breath. But yeah, my bike is bringing me a lot of joy. I have not had a bike in years. Um, and I've just been enjoying riding it around and just like looking at houses and things and not being in a car while doing so. Yeah, I um, have been riding my bike more this summer than I have previously. And Spencer just got his bike fixed up too. And so it has been nice. It's like, it's it's fun. It's good. Um, My meds this week, I think just are going to continuously be as much time as I spend in the sun and water, getting color in my skin and feeling alive. And it's just like, it makes me just feel so good. I'm we're rushing through the end of this episode so that we both can get to different waters. I know. Sources. But, um, really, I was really touched randomly. Um, my um, soon-to-be sister, Hannah, um, just out of nowhere, just sent, sent me a message that was like, there's something coming your way. And then 
um, I opened a package and it was this book of poems called Lord of the Butterflies by Andrea Gibson. And just a little note that was like, this reminded me of you. And I thought it was so sweet. I have not gotten through all of it, but I was flipping through to sign, find something to read. Um, and I just want to read this one poem kind of quickly, just to kind of give you an idea. This is from Lord of the Butterflies by Andrea Gibson. It's called um, Hurt the Fly. Your therapist asks what you're feeling and you say you're sick of talking about the symptoms. There's an arrow through your sternum and you're being asked how it feels, how you're planning to work with the arrow there, how you're planning to breathe in a crowded room. You don't want to talk anymore about where to hide the blades in your house when the arrow gets you desperate for a pain only you control. You just want the arrow out. You want to grab the past and tear it from your body even if it takes your organs with it. There are lists for new organs, no lists for new pasts. A few years ago, a friend asked if you'd ever had a childhood. You said no, but that wasn't right. What you haven't had is an adulthood. The wounds still, the wounds still your mouth. The tantrums still your world. Nothing ever louder in your head than the thought, I'm way too young for this. How little you were when you started wanting your mother to love you less, so it wouldn't kill her to know you've been hurt. You still can't stomach the truth without some bungee in the noose, without saying the worst thing that ever happened to you was not the worst thing that ever happened to you. Hating yourself for it was. Your therapist says the shame is trying to take care of you, says you blame yourself so you can believe the world is a safe place or would be if you had done things differently. It's kind of sweet actually that you've given to believe in the goodness of the world, your own good name, your own good light, your own wise and grown life, all traded for a galaxy that wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, I realized that that was a little intense, so I'm going to read one more quickly. It's called All the Good in You. When all the good in you starts arguing with all the bad in you about who you really are, never let the bad in you make the better case. Um, and I was just really touched by someone thinking of me, and that's such a simple thing, and I'm really excited to read more of these poems. Um, do we have homework, baby? Yeah, go do drugs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, you know, I we're going to talking about drugs is it's similar to sex it's gonna it's difficult for some people it's awkward so um this is a homework that i expect everybody to go do but um if you are a drug user if you are an alcohol drinker shit if you drink coffee and caffeine or smoke cigarettes those are nicotine is a drug so is caffeine um let's just do a reflection exercise um nothing new to us at the podcast or to the listeners um you know that just means sit down think literally just think about this phrase like what do drugs do for me mm. and just sit with that for a bit meditate on it um i think a lot of times when we hear the word drugs we do our brains go to that intense place of like crack meth like heroin but like mm -hmm. like i said caffeine is a drug alcohol is a drug mm -hmm. meat is a drug so like mm -hmm. be honest with yourself about the drugs that you're using <laughs> and just reflect on and the amount you're using and, and the how amount often. you're using yeah um and what that's doing for you and yeah. similarly with sex like is it a is it a toxic thing is it a healthy thing are you using it in good situations bad situations are you using it to run from something are you using it to get closer to something mm -hmm. or to someone um just reflect on it again there's no right or wrong answer this is all yeah. about just becoming more aware of our own behaviors and being a little bit more in touch with ourselves um and the decisions that we make so and if drugs access something for you a desire for you, you know, anything like that. How can you manifest that thing without the substance, you know? 
Like what, what are drugs giving you that you actually need? What is the, what is the need beyond the desire? You know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we'll reflect on that. You can, you can literally just sit and meditate on it. You know, I'm a fan of journaling. So like, if you want to pull out the journal and write a bit about it, please do. Um, but I'm not going to demand it. this time. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Let us know how it went. Follow us on QBT pod on Instagram and Twitter. Please don't forget to subscribe and share and give us those five star reviews. Um, thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. And big, 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 big thanks to our West coast, Cutie Allie Kilts for helping us with editing. You can listen to her podcast, Trace Material. Um, it's really beautiful and so well produced. And I tell you to listen to it all the time, not just because a friend made it, but it's such a fucking good podcast. It's great. And it comes out on Wednesdays too. So a little like aperitif to um, QBT. Yes, aperitif. Where are we in Europe? <laughs> Come on, absinthe. <laughs> I just want a little something before dinner. Um, okay, goodbye. I love you. Bye, love you, enjoy the water. You too. Mm-hmm. Try to talk slick all up in my ear and shit. <laughs>